Welcome, and thank you for downloading Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Here at Movement, we are passionate about God's Word and helping each other move closer to God. Thank you for choosing to grow with us today. And now, here's our lead minister, Bobby Wallace. Hello everybody watching online as well. I'm glad you guys are here with us. Happy Father's Day again. I cannot say that enough uh, for all the amazing dads that are out there. Uh, I'm looking forward to being able to see my dad a little bit later on this afternoon. And uh, I want to tell you, though, there's been a few times in my life, and I, everybody, is everybody sitting down? Everybody at home sitting down? I'm going to say something that's probably going to shock you, but I have actually let people down before. <gasps> I know. I, you thought I was perfect, and I understand it's a common misconception. Common, super common. But uh, one time when Sherry and I were just dating, um, we were dating and I had gone home with her for the weekend to visit her family and all that sort of stuff. We were at what was run at Bible College, went up to Richmond, Virginia area, and we were hanging out. And at that time, we, uh, a big craze or fad that was going on was swing dancing. You might know what swing dancing is or was, you know, it was like an old, like what, 30s or 40s and it kind of came back in like the late 90s, early 2000s. And so, like, you know, it's like where you see, like, in old movies where, you know, the girls have, like, the poodle skirts on or whatever like that. And they're, like, you know, throwing them between their legs and doing all these flips and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I don't know, maybe, like, the dirty dancing, like, catch thing. I don't know. But, you know, stuff like that. And so we decided with all of our dancing prowess that we were going to figure out swing dancing. And so we were out in the front yard at her parents' house. You know, we were, you know, 20, 21, 22, something like that. And we were out there, and uh, we were doing some swing dancing moves. And we were going to do the, you know, we'd done like the, you know, where you like slide, you know, and hold each other's hands, and then you go back and you slide, do this, you know, and all these different things, and spinner. And then we decided, okay, we're going to do the flip over my arm thing, where she's going to literally flip over my arm. And for some reason, we didn't know ourselves very well. We thought we could actually do this. Um, and so we're there in the front yard with all, you know, people driving by, houses all around us. And we go to flip, and she freaks out. She lost faith in me, I guess. It wasn't my fault. It was 112% hers. She freaks out and goes as stiff as a board, and so I can't get her momentum to carry her over to flip and land on her feet. And so literally she gets right about here, and her head just goes boom, and she just falls on the ground head first and just falls down. And thankfully, I, I did check on her before I laughed, but then I laughed really, really loud because she was laughing, and I mean, she was just giggling, laughing. And this was back in the day before YouTube, before smartphones even, so nobody was on videoing us. But my father-in-law happened to be standing at the doorway, and he almost went to see Jesus. He had a heart attack. He laughed so hard. I mean, he was just broke out laughing because, I mean, she literally was trying to flip, just went bam on her head. I mean, I let people down sometimes, right? Like, you know what I'm saying. I let her down. I let her down, even though it was her fault. We all agree. Everybody agree on that? She's not here today, so she can't argue. She may be watching online. I'm going to get beat up when I go home. But anyway, uh, there was another time as a dad that I let down uh, somebody. Uh, Luke was a pretty young kid. I think we had Daniel as well. He would have been a really little baby. Luke would have been, I don't know, five or something like that. I don't know. And uh, we were out, we had this really big snow. And, you know, snow's not that common here, but it's definitely less common in Chocowinity, North Carolina, if you ever know where that is, eastern North Carolina. And so we had this massive snow for us and everybody, the whole neighborhood. We had this neighborhood full of kids and parents. We're all friends. We all went out. We're playing in the snow. We had a real good old-fashioned snow day. 
And all the kids were out there, and they decided to be all cute. And all the kids laid in a circle. There was like five or six kids, my kids and neighbor kids, and they were laying there. And uh, I picked up a snowball, and the moms are talking, and I picked up a snowball, and I'm just packing that snowball, packing that snowball. And I mean, it was a work of art, I'm telling you. It was, it was really, it was, probably should have been registered with the government. It was that much of a weapon. And so I'm packing that snowball, packing that snowball. And then, so there's in this circle, laying on the ground, you know, kind of like snow angels almost, laying all there in a circle, all looking at it, and they're laughing and giggling. And I take this snowball, and I, boom, launch it up into the stratosphere. When that thing is coming down, there's literally flames coming off of it. It's a meteorite at this point. And it's coming down, and I kid you not, it comes down, and it hits Luke, five years old, right in the face. I mean, it's it's screaming. I mean, just like full on, it like slow motion molds around his face before it explodes. And I felt horrible. No, I didn't. I laughed like a coyote, like a hyena. I mean, I just, I don't know if coyotes laugh, but let's, let's say they do. I laughed like a hyena. I mean, I was doubling over laughing. And I looked up, and I mean, Luke is crying. I mean, he is like, crying. And I look up, and there's four moms looking at me like I am Satan himself. <laughs> and so you're asking, or you're wondering, or you're thinking, did you learn your lesson? No, it's still hilarious. I I mean, the only regret is that I could have had is if it hit one of the neighbor kids, and then I would probably be buried and dead. But it was thankfully my own kid, and Sherry to this day is still mad about that. I mean, it's like, you know, 13 years later, and she is still mad at me, but I still think it was one of the funniest things ever. Luke's a better person for it, aren't you, son? Aren't, Aren't you, son? He's shaking his head no, but... He doesn't know. He might have been a delinquent before that, if that hadn't happened. But snowball to the face, he's a good kid. So dads, take note, snowball to the face, kids will turn out pretty good. Yeah, okay, so anyway. But I let my kid down a little bit that day. And here's the thing. Um, Society will tell you that dads and men, to an extent, are let down. Unfortunately, it's kind of a common thing, right? You know, over the past few years, we've heard this phrase that's gained a lot of popularity, like toxic masculinity. Um, And I'm not going to get off on this tangent too much, but can I just make a little bit of an observation? Most of the times when I see what people might call toxic masculinity is actually the absence of godly masculinity. I, I don't know if you think that's fair or not, but I think it's a pretty honest statement. What people would call toxic masculinity is actually the absence of godly masculinity more times than not. But regardless, people say that men can be a letdown. And let's be honest, let's be real, we've already talked about it a little bit. Some dads are letdowns. Some of you didn't have a great dad. And and it it might be a tough day for you, and I'm I'm really sorry for that. I really am. Luke was raising his hands and he didn't have a great dad. Wait till the next snow, buddy. Thanks. But, but I want you to know that regardless of what your dad was like, I can't say this enough, that we do have a perfect father who loves us. And I hope that you come in contact with men, whether you're a grown man or a grown woman or you're a kid or, or wherever you fall along that spectrum of life, 
I hope and pray that you come into contact with godly men who can help point you continually to God our Father. And so I want to say, though, today, there's a lesson that we can learn from God's Word, from actually from the Gospel of Mark. And here, some of you might be thinking, okay, this is a Father's Day sermon, I'm not a dad, you know, uh, you know whatever you might be thinking. But this message is for every single person here. This, it, it's something dads can learn from, but it's something moms, it's something, you know, young men, young women, you know, kids, everybody, everybody, everybody in every walk of life can learn something from this it doesn't matter if you're a dad, a man, a woman, a young person. It doesn't matter. Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. I'm going to read a good chunk of Scripture, so everybody, you know, bear with me, okay? You can follow along on the screen uh, or read along in your Bibles. Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. It says, And when he, that is Jesus, returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. Jesus got to go home early there in his ministry. And many were gathered together, and so that there was no more room, not even at the door. They were crowding around Jesus. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and then when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Verse 6. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. They weren't even saying this question out loud. You see different times in the Gospels that Jesus does this. I love it. You know, they're thinking something. They're thinking all judgmental. And then he calls them out. He answers their question. They're like, oop. That stinks. All right? They were asking this question in their hearts. Verse 7. Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and he went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. I love that story, you know, how Jesus, I mean, Jesus is absolutely playing checker, uh, chess while they're playing checkers, you know. And so he does the thing that is, seems impossible that only God can do, but then he goes and does this other miracle that they can actually see what he does after the fact, so just so it could prove to them, who is he? He is God. And so he says, your sins are forgiven, and they're questioning that. Why is he acting like he's God? And he said, I just did that so you could see that I have the power to forgive sins when I make this dude who can't walk, walk. And it's an amazing story where these friends cut a hole in somebody's roof and lowered their friend down on his mat right in front of Jesus. You know, I have learned uh, a, a little bit how to avoid a, a distraction in a room over, you know, 20 plus years of preaching. I'm not saying I'm perfect at it, but more often than not, I can kind of just go on and ignore what's going on in the back. 
one of the first funerals that I, I ever did, a guy had a cardiac situation in the back of the room while I was finishing up the ceremony and praying. And it was like chaos. And I somehow got through it. I don't know if my prayer made any sense, but I got through it somehow. But that taught me some lessons on how to avoid distraction. But I have yet to have somebody lower a human being through the ceiling down in front of me while I preach. I think that's going to stop the sermon, don't you? You know, it's like Jesus is there. He's preaching. All of a sudden, this dude's, you know. And Jesus is like, oh, man, that's a cool idea. I'm going to do that later on. He said, I'm going to go the other way. Um, no, I, I think he already knew what he was going to do. But uh, he's dropping down in the ce- from the ceiling. He's there, and this interrupts the whole sermon, but it gives an even better message. But here's the lesson overall that I want you guys to learn. Dads, moms, young women, young men, single moms, sing- or single whoever, everybody. All right, everybody, everybody see who I'm talking to here? Everybody. I want you to learn today how to let people down. How to let people down. Some of you are thinking, man, I am killer at that already. And I watch Bobby, and I am a perfectionist at it now because I watch him. And he lets people down all the time. He hits his kid in the face with snowballs. He drops his wife on her head. That's how I got her to marry me, guys. Drop on her head. She's like, oh, you look nice now. (laughs) But here's what I want you to do. How do you let people down? You see where we're going with this? You've got these four friends that let their friend down right in front of Jesus. And the first step to doing this is priorities over pride. Priorities over pride. If you want to be able to let your friends down at the feet of Jesus, so to speak, you have to get your priorities more important than your pride. And see, these friends, these four friends, didn't care at all what anybody else thought. They said, there's Jesus Here's our friend. He can't walk. That's a big problem. And he's been looking for a cure for his whole life. And he can't do it. So we are going to get this man to Jesus. Um, It would probably seem, most of us would say, okay, well, let's go up. You know, we get there. There's no take a number thing about who's next in line to see Jesus. It's like, well, guys, it's a long, big crowd. We got to go home. You know, we just got to take off. Maybe we'll come back later. Maybe we can schedule an appointment. You know, I I don't know what it is. But they didn't do that. They said, we are going to get him to Jesus no matter what. They focused on the priority of getting their friend to Jesus no matter the cost. I say it again a a slightly different way because I want you to get this. They knew the most important thing that they could do for their friend was to get him in front of Jesus. This is a very simple but important lesson for every single one of us. Dads, moms... Husbands, wives, boyfriends, girlfriends, co-workers, parents, kids, every single person. Anybody that we come in contact with and we build a relationship with, it should become our top priority to make sure that they get at the feet of Jesus. Y'all with me on that? Now, that's hard. That, that means you've got to live a different life. But that needs to become our priority over our pride. And here's why I say priority over pride. Because most of us will take any kind of barrier or burden that comes our way and be like, well, it's just too hard. And we'll quit because we're like, well, you know, so um, 
you know, we think about, you know, I don't want to be offensive, but like, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses, they go and knock on doors and all that sort of stuff. And you guys remember the uh, Hare Krishnas? I don't, I mean, they weren't talking about Jesus necessarily, but they'd be in the airport, they had these little pamphlets, and you see them, and you're like going the other way. And, you know, I mean, and so a lot of times people think about that, but like you're talking to somebody, and it's like, hey, you know, um, you ever go to church? And they're like, no. You're like, well, I tried. I mean, isn't that kind of the way most of us do? If we even get so bold as to say, do you go to church? Because we don't want to be thought of as some religious weirdo, right? You know, we, we think, man, do I have to wear a white short sleeve shirt and a black tie? You know, do I have to do something like that? Wow, y'all are tough. Y'all, y'all are really tough. Y'all are tough. It's hard. Reach over and slap your neighbor if you would. Wake you. No, I'm kidding. Don't do that. Don't do that. But we think, I'm going to be thought of as a weirdo. I cannot, I cannot take another step forward because why? Honestly, it's because of pride, isn't it? We're afraid of what people are going to think about us. And and so we put someone's relationship with Jesus behind our pride and our comfort. We worry so much about the perception of others. And when it comes to dads especially, because I do want to talk a little bit to dads, making your relationship with Jesus is vital in respect to your family. Making Jesus the, uh, the priority in your life is vital to your family. A survey was done many years ago, and you may have seen people made some really cool infographics about it. And it, it basically says this. A survey was done, and it was found that if a child is the first person to come to Jesus in a household to become a Christian, there's a 3.5% chance or probability that everybody in the house will become a Christian. So, like, let's just say a kid goes to, like, you know, an old school vacation Bible school or goes on some youth group trip or something like that, and they become a Christian. There's a 3.5% chance that the rest of the family will follow suit and become a Christian, too. Not great odds, right? Not great odds if the kid becomes a believer first. Well, the statistics go on to say that if the mother in the family is the first to become a Christian, there's a 17% probability everyone in the household will follow. So a little bit better. But the study showed that if the father is the first one to become a Christian, there's a 93% probability that the rest of the house, the family, will become Christians. Isn't that staggering? Just the difference in the likelihood of the rest of the family following Jesus if the dad takes the first step. The father's role in faith is so vitally important. And I know to a lot of you guys, to use an old saying, I'm preaching to the choir. I'm saying something that you know. But we need to remind ourselves that even if we're following Jesus, that the way that we follow Jesus, guys, is so important to what our kids and our, our families and our wives and our friends and everybody sees in us and through us. And so we've got to be careful and follow Jesus with our whole heart. And I'll say this. You also learned this from Mark chapter 2. You might have to get extreme. You might have to get extreme. If you want to be serious about making your priority to get people to Jesus over your pride, you might have to get extreme. What did these friends do? They literally dug or tore a hole in the roof of somebody else's house. We, I mean, we don't even want to go in anybody's house, right? I mean, we, a lot of us were like thanking Jesus for COVID because like, I ain't got to go to nobody's house no more. Can I be honest with y'all? Can I be real? 
Some people are like, thank you, Jesus, for COVID, <laughs> you know, because I ain't got to go talk to nobody no more, you know, and, and that's, so these people didn't just go to somebody's house, they went to somebody's house, climbed up on the roof and dug or pried a hole in the roof. I don't know if it was like a thatch roof, I don't know if it was a clay roof, but they destroyed the person's property. That's kind of a big no-no. It's a social faux pas, if you will. You know, we don't normally do that. And so they get up there, they tear this hole in the roof, they got extreme. Why? Why? They wanted their friend to get to Jesus. And you and I, whether we're mom, dad, whatever, never have any intention of getting married, young, young person, older person, doesn't matter. We need to get serious about the people in our lives, the relationships that we have, about getting them close to Jesus, even if we've got to get extreme. And for us, that might look like some different things. Maybe tearing the hole in the roof for us is doing whatever it takes to get your family to Jesus. And maybe it's just something as simple as canceling some appointments. Maybe your most important appointment in the week is spending time with your family and your friends, your loved ones, your neighbors. Maybe that's the most important thing. Maybe we could work less hours. You know, some of you might not, we talked about this sort of last week, some of you might not have a say exactly how many hours you work, but do you have to take all the overtime? You know, do you have to do all that? I mean, sometimes it's just merely about a standard of living, and maybe the standard of living is kind of controlling us. And, and so make sure that you find time to be with your family, your friends, and your neighbors. Maybe you've got to do something like downsize your car payment. You know, maybe, I mean, there are people that caught their cars are worth more than their homes, you know. And maybe sometimes we need to downsize our car payment. People don't like this message very much. I see y'all like, I don't like this. I don't like this very much. But it's the truth. We need to consider it. And I struggle with it too. Thankfully, I've got a crappy truck. But I would love to have something nicer. I would love to have something nicer. And so I struggle with like, man, do I want that payment? You know, but then I've got to make sure I find that money to make that payment. And that's going to mean time. And so I've got to decide what is more important to me. Sometimes for us, it's just we got to tell the Joneses to go on ahead and stop keeping up with them. Y'all remember that old phrase? You know, trying to keep up with the Joneses, trying to keep up with the standard of living of the people around you. So why do I harp on time? Because time is the only thing we cannot buy or borrow or steal or get more of. And when our time is gone, it's gone. And our time with our family and our friends and our neighbors and our loved ones and even our co-workers that we need to point to Jesus when their time is up, our time is up. You know, and we miss opportunities. And so it's time for us to make sure that we focus our priorities. And the sad thing about time is it's one of the things that we squander the most of. We talked a lot about that in depth last week, about how much time we spend on, you know, TV and social media and streaming stuff, and you fill in the blank with whatever it is you enjoy. Even if it's something that's, you know, unplugged, you can still spend a lot of time and miss opportunities for relationships. Well, here's the next thing. Show and tell. Y'all remember show and tell? I don't know if they do that anymore in school, but show and tell was like my favorite time of the week when you got to bring in something cool and you told people about it and you did what? All right, y'all were, y'all did not get out much as kids. Show and tell, you showed them. You showed them the thing that you had, the toy or the, you know, the knick-knack or whatever, all that sort of stuff, but show and tell. And that's something we can learn from Mark chapter 2. The friends, the four friends didn't simply say, 
you can't walk, we're going to pray for you. And, and prayer is very powerful. Prayer alone can heal people. Still can. Prayer alone can heal people. But they did the thing too. They prayed for him, I would bet, but they also did the thing. They said, I'm going to get you to Jesus. They went and they gave up their time. They gave up their energy. And let me, hear, let me make sure you hear this. Prayer is the best thing that we can do for anybody in our life. It's the best thing. That's right. Prayer is the best thing that we can do for anybody, but it is not the only thing. It is not the only thing. A lot of Christians struggle, including myself, in saying, oh, I'm going to pray for you, and we might even, by a miracle, pray for you. A lot of times we forget, right? I am, I'm really meddling today, aren't I? I'm like really digging in there. But I'm guilty too. So I'm going to pray for you and then we forget. But then we don't do anything else to help out. And maybe we could help out. And, and so I want you to think about what do I need to do. I don't just tell people about Jesus. I want to show them. So we pray for people. But here's the thing. God may want to use us as an answer to that prayer. He may want to use us as an answer to the prayer for that person. So we have to act. You see, it's not enough to tell people to love Jesus. You have to show them how to love Jesus. And these friends said, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get my friend to Jesus, and I'm going to do everything I can. So let me ask you this. Do your kids, your spouse, your friends, your neighbors, well, maybe it would be weird for your neighbors, but do they see you pray? The people that are closest to you, let's say that. Do they ever see you pray? Do they ever see you serve, whether it be in church or outside of church, the church gathering or outside the church gathering? Do the closest people to you especially ever see you read your Bible? And here's another one. Do they ever, ever, ever see you love the least of these? Do they ever see you love people and take time and money and energy and help people who might not ever be able to help you and pay you back? Do they see that? Now, I, I don't want you to get caught up and say, oh, you mean you want us to go and do stuff for show? You know, Jesus also talked about that, you big dummy. I mean, that might be what you're thinking. That's not what I'm saying. But here's what I am saying. I want for me and for you that the way that we live and love and worship and serve Jesus is so much a part of our life that the people that we spend the most time with can't help but see it sometimes. Does that make sense? I want it to be such a part of our life that they can't help but see it sometimes. That we love and look forward to spending time in God's Word. That we love and look forward to praying. That we stop and help people at times when they're in need. That they see it. That they see us love people. We, it's so much a part of us that it's natural to see it. They can't help but see it. And then here's another thing, the last thing. Teamwork makes the dream work. <laughs> Teamwork makes the dream work. You and I, if we want to make it a priority to get people that we care about in front of Jesus, we've got to enlist the help of others. We have to enlist the help of others. One person can't lower another person through a roof, can they? I mean, you might be really ripped and be able to pull it off, but not many of us are like that, right? You know, you might have worked up some kind of like some of your engineer minds and, you know, you'd have... Rope, you know, put the rope around a, a, a pole and then, you know, you pull it around your waist and so you're lowering them like that. But it's a whole lot easier when you got three buddies 
right? And what I'm saying is, is we cannot neglect the power of the church. We cannot neglect the power of the family of God. We need one another if we're going to help get the people that are in our relationships closer to Jesus. It's so beautiful. I see it a lot of times. I get to see somebody's invited somebody to church, and they finally come, and then somebody at church connects with that person. They never would have met them if you hadn't brought them, but somebody else at church connects, and it helps them build that relationship, and maybe they start a relationship with Jesus or rekindle a relationship with Jesus. We need the church. In this story, in Mark chapter 2, it took four people to bring this guy to Jesus. And I'm telling you, it takes a church. It takes a church to get the people that you care about in your life closer to Jesus. And it's even more important. It's even more important when there's not a good, godly dad in the picture. We need our church family to help one another. But look at verse 5 again from Mark chapter 2. It says, And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. What stands out to you in that, that verse? I think I hear some of you saying it. A lot of times when you see a situation like that, it might say in the particular passage of Scripture that Jesus saw the faith of the person that was requesting healing. And he was amazed, and so he healed them. But whose faith did he see in this account? The friends. Who knows what the faith of the paralytic was? It it didn't even say. The guy who couldn't walk, the guy who needed healing, it didn't even say anything about his faith. But it says when he saw their faith, he healed him. And I'm trying to get us to understand, and I need to be reminded of this, you need to be reminded of this, is that people that Jesus sees your faith as you try to bring people closer to Jesus and he might bring healing into their life through salvation but maybe even physical healing he will bring about a change when he sees your faith and willingness to bring people to him simply put your faith can make others whole it can make other people whole and so your faith can create an opportunity for people for Jesus to show up in people's lives, but you're going to need help. You're going to need help. So, uh, you know, it it says a bed. It might have been some sort of pallet. It might have been some sort of blanket with ropes. We don't know exactly what they lowered this person in. But one of the things I want you to stop and think for just a moment is sometimes you're one of the friends holding the rope And sometimes you're the friend in the blanket. And that's why the church is so important. Because sometimes you're going to need a few friends to hold the corners of your blanket and hold the rope to lower you down to get you back in front of Jesus. And sometimes you're going to have to be on the end of one of those ropes and you're going to need some other people that are going to help lower your friends or your family or your co-workers or your loved ones down in front of Jesus. The truth is is that you and I might be in the blanket sometimes, we might be on the bed or we might be lowering the bed. We need one another. Either way, you need other people. So I'm going to ask this question as we draw close to a close. How connected are you to the church? 
how connected are you to others? Um, I'll tell you this, you know, we had the storm that came through a couple of nights ago, you know, and a lot of people in our area were without power. And I, I'm sure there were probably some people who were without power in our church family. And so we put out a push notification. We said, if you're without power, send us a text. You know, if you needed to take a shower somewhere, if you were you're hot, you know, and, and nobody said anything. And, and I hope that maybe everybody was good. Everybody had somebody, that, maybe a neighbor that might have had power or something like that or a family member. But my thought was, how many people sat there in the heat sweating when they had a church family member that would be perfectly willing to let them come sit in their air conditioning? Don't stay distant from one another just because society tells you it's weird and uncomfortable. Because I don't know if you guys have checked lately, but what society's doing is not working too hot. People are more distant and full of anger and pain and emotional hurt than ever before that I've ever seen in my lifetime. And so many people feel alone and it's time for us to take advantage of the great family that we have. But you know, we only truly become great family when we get to exercise it and work at it and practice at it and sometimes fail at it. Let's be honest. Sometimes we're going to screw it up. Sometimes we're going to hit each other with a snowball in the face. <laughs> you know, but what we need to do is we need to spend time getting to know one another, calling on one another, using one another's help and energy and time, and then sharing ours with them. We need to help point other people to Jesus, and we need to pull our friends along. So who's helping you point your friends and your family to Jesus? Who's helping you when you can't help yourself? When you're the one in the blanket, who's helping you? Do you have relationships with people in the church family so they can help you? And then who's shouldering the burden, the load, when it's too heavy for you? And you can't hold the rope anymore. Who's shouldering the load when it's too heavy for you? And I want you to think about this question. They're going to put it on the screen here. Who has the other three corners of your blanket? Or maybe even who's got the four corners of your blanket. Maybe you're in the blanket right now. Maybe you're in the blanket and you don't have anybody to hold up a corner. Or maybe you've got a blanket and you're standing there, but you're all by yourself and you ain't going to do anything with anybody because you've only got yourself to, to lower a friend and you've got no help. Who's got the other three corners? Who's got the four corners of your blanket? It's a question that all of us need to ask ourselves and we need to answer for ourselves. And can I, can I say this? Can I say this? I've probably offended a lot of people today, so let's go ahead and go for the home run. <laughs> Let it be you that goes and finds the other people. I, I hope that other people will reach out to you, but sometimes if we stay distant long enough, we put up a wall or a sign that says, leave me alone, and people are afraid, or they're just nervous, or they're uncomfortable. How about, let's say, I'm going to go out and I'm going to try my best to find three people. Or I'm going to try to find four people. Or I'm going to try to find 30 people. I, I, more the merrier. 
but I'm going to do my part. I'm not going to wait for people to come to me. I'm going to go and I'm going to find people in our church family that are going to help me carry the blanket or going to help me lower my blanket that I'm in down to see Jesus. And that may seem counterintuitive. You may say, they, they need to come to me. They need to come to me. Yeah, in a perfect world, that's great. But you know what will happen? If you're going out to find somebody and you're going out to find somebody, you might just find each other. might find the relationships that save you in the darkest times of your life and you might make the friendships and the relationships that help your child or your mom or your sister or your neighbor be baptized into Christ in three years from now it might seem like forever but you might make those relationships that you're going to build so that people have got the corners of your blanket that will make the difference in somebody's eternity God's calling us to let people down (laughs) to let people down at the feet of Jesus so church I'm saying let's do whatever it takes let's do it together if you don't know if you're really a part of a church family we'd love to have you be a part of ours We call it being a mission partner, somebody who's all in, and we'd love to talk with you about that. And if you're not quite there yet, we'll help you work those steps to get there. Maybe you need to start a relationship with Jesus today. We'd love to talk with you about that. I'll be off to the side, and we've got plenty of people that would love to pray with you. But I want you to say, who has got the other corners of my blanket? And answer that question. Dads, moms, husbands, wives, boyfriends, girlfriends, single people, kids, Adults, everybody, who's got the other corners of my blanket? Let's stay on the same. Thank you for listening to Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Want to learn more about us? You can do that by visiting our website at movementchristianchurch.com or on our app available on iOS and Android devices under Movement NC.